0: yo your fans just might turn into off fans be cool it's just a part of this program spit your best 16 if you must you not whack you just sound whack rapping after us for real what up justin hello is this is this thing on it, it is it does microphone's work microphone's working oh wow work. Look finally at that. It only Finally, took a couple of weeks for you to get it right. The first we time you broke the streak. I mean, it was like a month long streak.
1: Yeah, I, off I om- the show. I almost think you should forfeit that belt on your shoulder right now because of it.
0: <laughs> I'm down. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited for today's show. And the reason why I brought this belt is because you and I are the official heavyweight champion in the podcasting world. <laughs> <laughs> I why I, I, was I that? I keep finding an excuse to bring this <laughs> WWE belt onto the show, <laughs> and I was like, I, I can't think of anything. So we're the undisputed heavyweight champions of, of the podcasting world. But even though we are champs, we always appreciate having our guests. Uh, we don't have a guest today, but we will have a guest uh, next week and also weeks moving forward. So yeah, just absolutely. gonna be just gonna be Saul and I today. But don't worry, you got the undisputed, undefeated <laughs> heavyweight champions in the podcasting world. So I'm excited for today's podcast.
1: Well, awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I appreciate that intro very much there, Justin. I think you said it up uh, very well. And uh, if, you, if you're if you new to our show, please uh, hit the like button, subscribe. Uh, we you know first of all we're popular worldwide i just want to say that i always india. like to say we're we're yeah india actually england now uh the analytics tell us that so i'm going to run with that and uh it's 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 fun doing the show cuz we talk about a little bit of everything right and so let's let's talk let's start there first and foremost college basketball let's just start there there are so many college basketball openings uh this week alone i think there was like four that opened up it's pretty insane right about now. What are we doing? What's going on? Who's going where? Like, What was your a whole interpretation? Let's start with Arizona.
0: I'm glad you <laughs> decided to start with Arizona, Saul. And I'm curious to get your take on Ooh, your alma because I, I know I, you got I, some-
1: I've been pretty quiet all week about this.
0: <laughs> so, uh, you know, all the openings, Cincinnati, Arizona, they're all over the country, but... Starting with Arizona, that's the biggest one, I th- I think, in college hoops right now. Because Arizona, as you know, Saul, is not a blue blood, but is still a top-level elite basketball program. Probably a top-two job on the West Coast, top-three job on the West Coast. I think UCLA, with, with the history and location and everything, I would still give UCLA the the, the nod over Arizona in terms of tradition what they sure. meant to college basketball but Arizona's right there and yeah. Sean Miller's led that program for 12 years and could never get it to the heights that Lute Olson had the program which was getting it to a final four and competing for a national championship year in and year out uh, my colleague Bruce Pascoe the Arizona Daily Star actually made a good point when Lute Olsen was at Arizona it seemed like every four years Arizona was in the final four yeah, they it felt were like that. Yeah, where Sean Miller, he was here for twelve years, got to the elite eight three out of the first six years plateaued. It, it, it and goes then, eight,
1: 88, and then ninety four, and then ninety seven, and then two thousand one. So yeah, about every four years. Yeah, and in yeah. between there, they had some one first round exits, which were epic like failures. (laughs) Let's be honest. Like, you know, losing the Santa Clara in the first round as a two seed, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we had some, some pretty low lows, but the highs were equally as high.
0: Exactly. And I think that's where um, the whole Sean Miller era. uh, Well, it went wrong in a lot of ways, but Mm -hmm. when you look at on court success and that's what the athletic director, Dave Heakey said on court and off court elements played into making this decision to move on from Sean Miller on court elements, they haven't won an NCAA tournament game since two thousand seventeen.
1: Yep. Yeah. When we were there, the last time that happened. Exactly. That's how long ago that happened. Yeah, you know I mean, it, I, a couple things with with Sean Miller specifically. Obviously, the FBI investigation is going to hurt him. Like that's that's been a, a cloud over this program for four years now. It feels like four, three years, three years, three almost years, four years, almost four years. You know, that's a long, long time. And I think that hurts a program. It obviously hurts a program. You know, Uh, I think what Sean Miller does, I think Sean Miller has uh, an amazing ability to be able to compartmentalize uh, and get through certain things like the FBI investigation. Uh, I remember his speech where he said, I can't wait to speak um, about this openly and tell you exactly what really went on. Uh, I remember that to this day. And I wonder if we're ever going to hear that. I don't think we ever will. Uh, Sean Miller's just not that kind of dude. He doesn't open up to people. He doesn't, you know, he keeps his circle uh, pretty tight. And so I, just a, a lot of different things went into that. The other thing is, is Sean Miller, yes, he had the early success. And he was able to to regroup the fan base when they got to the Elite Eight in 2011 with Derrick Williams. And and hold them, essentially, for the next 10 years, especially with the flashes of the, uh, you know, the number one recruiting class uh, with Aaron Gordon in the, in the subsequent year after that, like, there was a lot of promise and a lot of hope. You just felt like, oh man, he's so close. It's gonna happen, right? It never did. And the and, and you start to to see, like, okay, is this is it not happening because of just bad luck, which you could chalk it up to the first couple of elite eights, you know, against Wisconsin, like Frank Kaminsky goes crazy in one tournament, and then the next year Sam Decker goes absolutely berserk. Sometimes it just happens and it's not your day. Cool. But then you have the number one overall pick in DeAndre Ayton. This is the one that, that, that really takes me from here to here. When you have the number one overall pick and the way that he was being used in that offense and the, and the lack of ability to be able to, to, to draw up plays and, and, and really come up with sets in order to get DeAndre Ayton the ball in certain opportunities, especially when you're facing a team like Buffalo, You kind of get exposed a little bit. And Sean Miller has largely been known as a pack line defensive coach. Offensively, not as strong a coach as some others in the country. I think that's – I'm not breaking any news by saying that at all. Sure. He needed to do more with what he had. And when he had the immense talent and the expectations on that talent, he wasn't really able to live up to where that talent was expected to go. Now, all that aside – He's a consistent twenty-win winner, and at Arizona, that's a that's a good place to be. But there's a dangerous thing to do where you thrive in excellence in in areas where you know there, there's not a lot of uh, risk, if you will. The NCAA tournament is a high-risk, high-reward tournament, right? He wasn't able to thrive in that in in that situation, at least not since 2015, the last time the Arizona Wildcats made it to an Elite Eight, and it's yeah. and it's been six years and a, a couple first round exits, uh, a Sweet 16 loss to an Xavier team, which was his former employer, and they should have just gotten a lot far further than they than they did. And and when you see and in the the microcosm is the last time that they, they lost. In the Sweet 16, they lost to Xavier, and Xavier lost to what I consider the best program on the West Coast right now, Gonzaga. And Gonzaga's been to a couple final fours in the last couple years. Uh, Gonzaga is that team on the West Coast right now that is the best team on the West Coast. They have the best program on the West Coast. It used to be debatable. It's not debatable anymore. In the last five years, five to ten years, they are the top dog in the West Coast, and they play in the West Coast Conference. That's a problem. If you're Arizona and they were on the border of being a blue blood, they're not blue blood anymore because they can't manage to, to reach that upper level like Gonzaga has broken through the ceiling and done. And Gonzaga's kryptonite is not being able to win the national championship. But that's no different than loot. Lute. Lute, the first couple times he went to the Final Four, didn't win the national championship, and then he broke through.
0: There you go. I want to go back to your point about – how it's affected every single college basketball program that was involved in the FBI scandal.
1: Oh.
0: I feel like Arizona has it worst and it has affected them in some way. But then I look at all the other schools, Kansas, they gave bill self a lifetime contract,
1: <laughs> but but they weren't even in the F- FBI. They, they were in the
0: Adidas part, yeah. part of it. Yeah. Uh, Will Wade still at LSU. <laughs> they, they make the NCAA tournament. Um, Oklahoma State, they have Cade Cunningham, who's probably going to be one of the top picks in the NBA draft. Yep. They go to the NCAA tournament and make somewhat of a run. So Bruce, Ari-
1: Bruce, Bruce Pearl in Auburn made it to the Final Four two, <laughs> yeah. e- two years ago, three years ago, like right after the investigation.
0: Yeah, so I, I think it's affected programs to some degree, but I think Arizona definitely has it the worst.
1: I will say this too also, by the way, just just to throw this out there. I think that there's something here, and I'm not trying to play the race card at all, but I think it's really effed up that you have four head coaches, all of them are white, and you have four assistant coaches who all get hammered, and all of them are black by the FBI. Like, I don't like the optics of that. I don't like the way that plays out. I don't agree with the way you're busting these guys. You just know that there was more out there that they could have found had they just... Kind of played it cool, like the FBI. Kind of jumping the gun here, I think, is the biggest travesty in all this. And for, we have for that playbook matter, for, for that. <laughs> for that matter, the FBI being involved in the first place is an absolute travesty. It's a waste of taxpayer money. It's it's ludicrous. It was stupid to begin with. I think a lot of people agree with that. Um, but I do like what USC did. Like, okay, so Bland got busted and he left. Andy Enfield didn't didn't turn his back on it on 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 Bland. He said he'll always be a member of the USC family. We appreciate everything that he he helped us with. And then that was it. So at least you know, like, you got caught, you got busted, whatever. Like, your boy had your back for a little bit, right? I've never heard Sean Miller say one thing about about Book Richardson since – this all went down and you just know with the control that Sean Miller had in that program. And I think that's why people were believing about the $100,000 to Aiden and all this other stuff, which ended up being complete BS because nothing has ever been proven about that whatsoever. No. And, and it was a shame that ESPN even ran that story in the first place, unverified, undocumented, like it was a travesty in journalism to begin with. Yeah. But again, you know, Sean Miller, you've dealt with him Day in and day out for the better part of six years, Justin. So I've dealt with him for three straight years. Like anything that goes by, this guy holds grudges against journalists who publish who publish a video of him scolding a player. Like this guy doesn't remember; he doesn't forget anything. Like he's got a photographic memory. The fact that he would let something like this slide on the side, I just don't buy it. Yeah. I just don't. There's something that smells there. Outside of that, let's just take it for what it's worth. Sean Miller is a good coach. Will he find himself in the NCAA? I don't know. There's rumors about him going to the NBA instead. Um, I know a lot of coaches have preferred to go the NBA route because they don't have to deal with a lot of the stupid BS on the side, right? I don't know if he's ever going to coach in college again. Cincinnati is is an interesting proposition for him to go to Cincinnati possibly. It just so happens that somebody had got fired there this week, and that position's open, ironically Mm -hmm. enough. Uh, Arizona's and that was his longtime set.
0: rival. That was his longtime rival. Cincinnati, Mick Cronin, Sean Miller. Very fascinating.
1: Very fascinating. Anyway, a lot of coaching openings around the country. The The wheel keeps on turning. Uh, the Sands of the Hourgrass. Uh, hourglass continue to fall as, as they <laughs> would say. So, um, but any move, moving along from, from that, what was your take on the final four? You know, we, we had the women's and the men's final four. Obviously we have a little bit of buy-in to the women's final four because Arizona made it to the national championship and they were one bucket away from taking the title, which still to this day, it, you know, it's been a week and I still get goosebumps and I still get chills and I still get giddy over that because I just love ball. And I love the fact that these women were able to come out of nowhere and do what they did. And then the men's game, uh, the national championship game was a bust. But Gonzaga-UCLA, that game, wow.
0: Yeah. going to, Starting off with the women's Final Four, I love that the Wildcats were the, the spoiler. They were, they were the only non-number one seed in the Final Four. And un- unfortunately, that's been the case um, with women's college basketball. I mean, for as long as I can remember, you always have your top dogs, the number one seeds. It's almost guaranteed it's going to be chalk all the way through the women's college basketball tournament. But sometimes, Ari- some, sometimes, some, okay,
1: you, you do realize that the women were the first, uh, were the first to have a uh, the one versus sixteen upset, the very first one.
0: Really, I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. Who, wait, who was the 16th seed then? Oh, I don't remember.
1: I'll <laughs> look it up right now. You keep you keep talking. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll I'll talk.
0: But the fact that Arizona was the number three seed they were in the mercado region i think they got the perfect route to get to the final four um the the teams that they have played it was just a perfect match for arizona then they get to almighty yukon and Paige buckets was on the other side and everyone thought yukon was just going to win by 30 and cruise to a final four and old, and eventually a national championship but Ari mcdonald and company had something to say about that, and they just took it to UConn the entire game. I love that part. That was uh, one of my favorite moments of March. Number 1998, Harvard. Harvard. Harvard
1: beat the Harvard of the West
0: in Stanford, 16 versus one first upset right there. Shout out to Harvard. Go Ivy League. But uh, the women's tournament was definitely uh, something to behold this year. I loved every minute of it. And I honestly think the entire country rallied around the women's college basketball tournament. I, maybe it's just living in Arizona and seeing the hype around the Wildcats. But to me, it seemed like a lot of people were dialed into the women's college basketball Final Four. And I think that's just so great for the sport. Um, these players are so talented and skilled. To see them get the pub that they got this year, I think it was incredible. And I hope it, it continues. Now going on to the men's Final Four that bank shot by Jalen Suggs. <laughs> Incredible Insane. moment. Incredible Insane. moment. But yeah. can we can we just talk about for a second how he went on to the scores table and was hyping himself up? And then all of a sudden they pan the camera over and he's like yelling into the crowd, and it's just nothing but cardboard cutouts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did you forget? Did you forget? Yeah.
0: <laughs> so yeah there's still a pandemic going on but but that moment was was awesome and also speaking of cincinnati when we were talking about their job opening up remember their coach mick cronin yeah. came over to ucla yeah and and was option number seven i remember all the boosters wanted rick patino that slimy grease ball of a coach but that's <laughs> a conversation for, for another day Whoa, right. um I got I got some issues with, with Rick Pitino. Um, but Mick Cronin was not even option number one, not option number two, number three, number four. They settled for Mick Cronin, and a lot of people thought, is that going to work? Is the, the Midwest tough-nosed basketball coaching, is that going to work at a place like UCLA? Well, he took UCLA's talent that was coached by Steve Alford, kicked their asses over the last couple of years, got them into shape, added Johnny Juzang from Kentucky, and they put together this incredible run. And I remember Steve Lavin, who has said that he's going to join this program in the future. Now, whether that's next week or, you know, maybe going into next year, um, that remains to be seen. But I texted Steve Lavin um, You know, what do you think about the Bruins? I love me some Steve Lavin. Steve Lavin's awesome, man. He's he's,
1: he's the GOAT, man.
0: And he was so excited. And I remember (laughs) in, I think, January, he was on Fox Sports promoting... UCLA as a national championship contender, and even I thought he was smoking some of Cali's finest kush, (laughs) but it turns out UCLA was in fact a national contender, so shout out to Steve Lavin for for making that call, so I mean, college basketball was great this year, even if it was during a pandemic, uh, Conference of Champions is right, Josh Kellman. Conference of Champions,
1: <laughs> dude. I love it. You know, I I love it. I love everything um, about Steve Lavin. I love the fact that the Pac-12 absolutely represented in the in the uh, the NCAA tournaments, both women and men. They had three teams make it to the Elite Eight. They had two teams make it to the Final Four for the women. One team in 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 the on the men's side. The Pac-12, for as much as they have been dragged through the dirt the last several years. Because of off the court things such as you know distribution for the Pac-12 network and things of that nature, they absolutely showed out and showed that there's some good ball out here on the West. Like, yo, if you don't watch basketball except at you know 7 p.m. Eastern, then you're gonna miss out on all you know the the whole other coast that has a whole bunch of hoopers and most likely. If you're watching Kentucky or if you're watching some of the Blue Bloods on the East Coast, there's probably a good chance that you have some California or AZ represent, uh, you know, on those rosters. And, you know, they got to start somewhere. It's because they come out here. You know, That's all the tur- all the good tournaments are out here anyway. Like, let's be real. Like, all the good AAU tournaments are in California. They're in Arizona. They're in Vegas. Like, there's a reason for that. It's because people like to live out here. And it's awesome. Just saying. West Coast is great. <laughs> west Coast, y'all. Let's go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> west, West, buddy. Uh,
1: so, anyway, so uh, outside of that, so we got the NCAA tournament. That was cool. March Madness. Uh, the pandemic seems like it's starting to ease up. Uh, you know, there are a lot of venues are opening sports to fans. Finally, again, the venues to fans. Uh, baseball being one of them. And if you took a look at the Texas Rangers and their sold out stadium last week, I'm not going to lie, Justin, there was a part of me that was like, I, uh, I got anxiety. Just looking at this video right now, just thinking about the implications (laughs) or what could happen if, you know, one, two, 10, 500 people have COVID in this arena. Yeah. I mean, or this in the stadium, Uh, but outside of that, A lot of other teams are taking the responsible approach and opening it up to fans at a moderate level. Uh, I know here in Arizona, it's 20,000 fans. I know other stadiums are like you know 5,000 fans. Uh, But baseball is back, and you're a Dodgers fan. So I figured, why the hell not? Let's talk about it. You saw the championship ceremony. What did you think about the rings?
0: Incredible. One of the best ring presentations I've ever seen. The players, they get the the ring box, they open it up, Mm -hmm. Dude, there's a highlight film inside of the the case where the ring is. And it's, each player has their own like customized highlight reel inside of their ring it's, case. It's like a top shot
1: uh yeah. video yeah. video thing. Yeah, it's it's really cool.
0: Yeah, I love that part. And it was so cool to finally see the Dodgers celebrate getting a championship. It's been a long time coming. Sorry, Saul. I know you guys have suffered so much in LA. Yes. yes. Go
1: ahead. Carry on.
0: Haven't won a World Series since 1988, man, and they've had so many opportunities, they just couldn't get over just that that curse. They had the they had to face the Houston Astros, which yeah, curveball. You hear that? You hear that knock? Oh, wait, you know what? Wait, so we're already talking about the Houston Astros. I got my trash can ready to go for this baseball season. Um, yeah. No, I, I just think, uh, you know, with the Houston Astros, with the Boston Red Sox, or even, you know, the Chicago Cubs in the National League over the last few years, the Dodgers have faced so many just good, talented teams. And the Dodgers were always talented, but, man, the, the October woes were a real thing. And you felt like Clayton Kershaw was just always going to be just that, that that curse that was never going to be able to win a championship with the Dodgers. Uh, So to see Clayton Kershaw finally get that World Series ring, I think that was the best part. About the ring ceremony, and Saul, you can continue to roll your eyes all you want. You can sit there and you know and make no, fun I'm of just, us Dodgers then, fans. I, but. I just
1: want to say this, okay? It took a worldwide pandemic for you to win a, a world championship, okay? I just want to say that out loud, okay? You, like, you, you only like, played sixty games, you, all right? You sound it like all count the, unless you pay a play one hundred and sixty-two, okay? I just want to say that out loud. Um, You sound like uh, I fully expect you guys to go back to back this year. Just so you know, okay, I do expect that. You sound like the
0: the, all the people um, when (laughs) when the Lakers won the championship and they said the same thing. Well, you had to go to a bubble. Congrats to Lamicky for winning his ring.
1: It's it's different because at least the Lakers played like seventy games before it got shut down, and then they had to go back to the bubble. You know, the Lakers played more games than the Dodgers did to win their title. Think about that. Yeah, drink that water.
0: Yeah, I'm just saying. You're that guy that calls. I'm that guy, Uh, Lamicky. Hey, uh, I'm just
1: saying. Like, hey, but anyway, baseball's back. Uh, I'm. We gotta know here. I'm not the biggest. Yeah, what? I mean, Musgrove last night, the first one in Padres history, 53 years. Oh my goodness, that is. That's amazing.
0: And he's a San Diego guy. He is. Hometown hometown, kid. Hometown kid doing it for his hometown team. And so I I actually had to look this up this morning because I'm like, well, the the Padres never had a no hitter. Well, let me see all the Major League Baseball teams that have had no hitters. They were the only ones that didn't have a no hitter.
1: Yeah, the only one. They were the only ones. The last one before them was actually the Cubs. Did not know that. The Cubs and the Padres are the only two franchises that have played more than 5,000 games without a no-hitter. It's incredible. That's pretty That's pretty incredible, yeah.
0: Who threw a no-hitter for your Arizona Diamondbacks?
1: Uh, that would be Randy Johnson, and it wasn't a no-hitter. It was a perfect, perfect
0: game. Perfect game. That's even that's better. Right.
1: That's right, 2004. That's it only good. took us six years. Step mm. up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Big unit. That's right. Um,
1: so yeah, b- baseball is back. I'm not the biggest baseball fan per se, uh, but you know, obviously because of my job, I, I have to cover it and I, I watch it quite a bit. Um, and, and there's something to be said. Um, oh yeah, and Josh Kelman in the chat also said Edwin Jackson also threw a no-hitter, and that was in Tampa. And I think it took him like 157, 153 pitches to do it in Tampa, which is insane. That's a lot of pitches. Nowadays, nobody would ever get past. 110 let alone 153 pitches or something like that i, so. say, I gotta get tommy john surgery just for <laughs> <me>. <laughs> all of a sudden my arm is like oh man it's kind of <laughs> sore right now i don't know why you know uh but yeah you know it's uh it, it, it's baseball the, the the thing that i love about baseball that i do think that they have more than any other other sport is the fact that you can go to a ball game and it's like it's like a you know, it's, it's, it's an experience to a degree because it's like the one sport where you can feel the history of the game, right? You will see people that are keeping score the old time way, you know, on their on their own little chart, you know, they're tracking everything, you know, they're writing it all down because that's like part of the game for them. That's part of the experience. And you don't really see that in any other sport. You know what I mean? It's it's the history. Uh, it's, it's over a hundred years of just, you know, a bat and a ball. And a glove. That's it. That's all you need. You know what I mean. And so I love the purity of baseball. And I know people have been wanting to change it. And I've actually had discussions with with coworkers about like, oh my gosh, I wish it would go seven innings instead of nine. Or you know, I don't like the or I, I like the fact that they start a runner on second base. And I know baseball purists don't like that. They just want to go for as long as they can until somebody wins the game. Purely, I like. I like the The history of it, but at the same time, I am not down with five, six, seven, eight hour games uh, at all. Like that's just insanely too much.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would change anything with the sport of baseball other than the promotion of its top players. I feel like baseball has yeah. so many stars in the sport, but let's say if Mike Trout walks into an L.A. mall and so does Alex Caruso, the backup point guard for the L.A. Lakers. Yeah. I feel like Alex Caruso might be recognized faster <laughs> th- than Mike Trout. And and that's, that's my only problem with the sport. But so do you many know why entertainers- that
1: is? Do you know why that is, though? It's because, to your point, the NBA does a phenomenal job of promoting their own product. Okay, like Major League Baseball, for instance, if you don't know much about this, right? Major League Baseball is not very fan friendly when it comes to like highlights. You know, Uh, you can go on YouTube right now and type in Suns versus Jazz from Wednesday night and you will see like 150,000 different highlight reels about that game. You type in Padres no hitter from last night, you might see five and Mm -hmm. a lot of those are going to be based Because of like the team partnerships, or Major League Baseball itself, or or some type of Major League Baseball entity, because you don't have the rights to like they completely like strip that of everybody. The NBA views anything as promotional and marketing if it's not live game coverage. Yeah. Whereas MLB doesn't necessarily view it the same way, and the reason why that's a big factor is because that also hurts the younger viewer. Like guys like your age, uh, my kids, you know, they can't can't jive with baseball because, you know, if they don't watch a full game for four and a half, five hours, I want to see the highlights. If I can't see the highlights anywhere but, like, maybe ESPN, eh, you know, it's out of sight, out of mind, so I'm not going to pay attention.
0: I think the only time I've ever seen MLB just super popular compared to the other sports was that one week, like three or four years ago when everybody was fighting, it felt like. I think it was the same week where um, O'Dor hit Joey Batista in the face when the Blue Jays were playing against the Rangers, and then in that same week there were like two other three fights in MLB, and it, that's all you saw when you, when you turned on Sports Center was just all these brawls in Major <laughs> League Baseball. That I'm not saying that you know MLB should turn into. Like the XFL or something like that, and, 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 and <laughs> just and roll race. a baseball out. First <laughs> one that gets it gets the pitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think the, the star power, getting faces out there, promoting off-season stuff. Like the why is Major League Baseball draft? I don't even know. Like. What time of year does it fall is it usually like May or June? Dude, I don't know. It's like 195 rounds, man. I don't.
1: Yeah. I don't. But Mel Kiper
0: but, Jr would be dead by halfway through. Like I I don't know what to do, you know. Oh, we need a Mel Kiper Jr for MLB. Yeah.
1: That'd be dope. Yeah, he's a oh. five-tool player. He could do this. He could do this. You know what I mean? Like I need I need Yeah, that's got, the other thing, right? It's, it it feels <laughs> the fact that we don't know what time of year it is. Man, that's kind of Yeah. That, that, honestly that's kind of shitty on our part. Let's be
0: real. Like, mm-hmm. we should know that. Oh, I love this guy. He's got great speed. He did have Tommy John surgery, but definitely climbing up my big board. We need Mel Kuiper in Major League Baseball, but offseason stuff, we need a the draft needs to be a bigger thing. NFL draft is a weekend long thing. Schmucks like myself are willing to sit down yeah. and, and watch the entire NFL draft for hours. I'm I'm that guy. And you can make fun of me, and rightfully so. But you best believe I'm going to be sitting down watching the sixth round of oh, yeah. the of the NFL draft, NBA draft. It's only two rounds, so it's a one night event that's just so huge. You see the top college uh, basketball players, the top international players get drafted. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. For Major League Baseball, I I really there's just no zest. Well, with, with the MLB they, draft. They
1: also they also include the high school players, which. Um, To a degree, you you kind of lose touch with because I mean, who the hell can keep track of all that, right? Like, yeah, that's not my job to 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 scout all that stuff, you know. And so it's a little easier to understand what the NFL is doing and the NBA is doing and and keep track of who's what. Um, I mean, I'll I'll be the first to admit, just like you, uh, I will absolutely. Uh, praise the backup defensive end for North Dakota State, who just got drafted in the seventh round, and is going to be the franchise changer sleeper pick. Like I'm <laughs> that guy. Like that's fine, but at the same time, there's there's a lot of dudes. And my son plays baseball at, at LSU Shreveport. Like he's a pitcher. Like I always have. I, I, I was shaking his head, listening I, to all this. I, right I now. always have. I, <laughs> Oh, trust me, he's probably like, Dad, I hate you right now. Like, but like, it, you know, I always tell him, I was like, just, you know, if you ever got drafted, like, I'll see you every other game. <laughs> I'm, like, no, I'm not sitting through five hours every single night, dude. I, I love you, son, but good thing you're a pitcher and I, I pretty much know when you're going to pitch. But yeah, uh, you know, baseball, man, you got to love the purity of it. Uh, again, I would just like to see the market. The big the big players like you were talking about like the you know the Ronald Acuñas um, you know of, of the world the uh, the Cody Bellingers like in a way that appeals to the younger demographic and gets them to buy into their product a little bit more. Um, but as it is right now, I think you know that the challenge that they have is is appealing to that younger younger demographic because they have a very old timey game. Yeah, and yeah. Um, at least the old timey game from my my point of view, um, and I've been following the game for forty years. So. Yeah.
0: If Fernando Tatis Jr. walked into this room right now and he didn't say who he was, the only way I'd know it was Fernando Tatis Jr. is because of his hair.
1: Yeah, that's and true.
0: If, if he got rid of his hair, I would have no idea. If Fernando Tatis Jr. walked right in front of me, I would have no idea who he is. That's and, a good point. Um, Joe Musgrove threw no hitter. I don't, even, I don't even know what he looks like. Like, what color is his hair? <laughs> I, uh, seriously, it's, and it's, it's like, long. It is no it's disrespect. long, it's long, it's long, brown you hair. got long hair, okay, long brown hair. and no disrespect to him, but this is just how baseball is to what the kids say, casuals like myself. So it's,
1: it's pretty sad that you know the face of maybe you know the offensive lineman for the San Diego Chargers, but you don't know the face of the shortstop Dodgers. for the Dodgers, you know what I mean? Like, what? No, that's that's crazy, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I was speaking of which as we were speaking, AJ Pollock probably got hurt. Just so you know. Oh man. <laughs> anyway, I
0: mean, you got plenty of guys. It's all good. <laughs> uh,
1: before we wrap the show up, obviously yesterday was kind of a, a a crappy day for a lot of people, especially in the music industry with DMX passing away. Uh, DMX, you know, for 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 a younger man like you, obviously you've you've grown up in in the era where you could you heard the hit songs and then discovered his music after that, right? I grew up in the era where I lived through those hit songs. Right. Uh, you know, DMX was definitely the the soundtrack of my teenage and early 20 years. You know what I mean? Uh, DMX, Wu-Tang, uh, Tribe Called Quest. Like that was like my playlist going going to school like that. That was it. And uh, the one thing I like about DMX and there was a story that a lady had shared on on, on social media was the fact that he was so personal and he was so personable. Uh, and uh, this lady was talking about how he sat next to her a, on a flight and she's in social media and she was like, you know you should really do this with your with your posts instead of posting like this and he helped her out he went and grabbed his other phone that he uses for social media or whatever and they had a conversation he invited her to a concert with, with her daughter and like they all had a great time or whatever and I was just like that's that's really cool that somebody would be open enough to, to at, at that level of fame to have a conversation with s- a random person and realize that everybody has value, right? Everybody can provide something to somebody, right? And you don't know what this person's gonna provide to you, but maybe they have, maybe they have a, a keen insight into life or a perspective that maybe you never took into consideration. And I think we all have that, right? And that's what I love about DMX. That story right there, I feel like, really surmised what he was all about. Um, we see, we saw, and we heard the songs, right? I, I put this on social media I think I think dmX was able to to expose his own self and in this in this in this era of mental health awareness I think what dmx did he was like one of the very first to talk about the demons and the struggles that he has to deal with and and expose himself and be vulnerable in that context for other people to look at him and be like that's not weak that's Like that, my man's telling, like, what he's going through. Like, that's a real thing. And he was one of the very first to not really back down from that. Uh, You know, I'm slipping, I'm falling, I can't get up. Like, that hits home. And we've all been through those trials and tribulations to some degree, various. um, And and I,
0: I absolutely identify with
1: DMX. And so, you know, rest in peace, my man.
0: Absolutely. And that woman that you're referring to that sat next to DMX on the airplane. I believe she was uh, traveling with her daughter. And her daughter knew who DMX was and recognized Mm him. But they had two different seats on the plane. Fortunately for the mom, she was able to sit next to DMX. And that's when they were going through social media strategies. Uh, This is how organic posts work. Posts always work better with a photo. photo, And to, to see that connection. And I think DMX was just so immersed in that conversation was because that woman didn't know who dmx was she just saw him as a regular guy but she also recognized that okay this guy is pretty famous because people were saying stuff on the plane saying hello so she understood that okay this guy's a big time celebrity but she didn't know who he was and they just had this conversation he loved the, the the talk that they had on the airplane talking about social media strategy and then he invites them to his show that night that goes to show the kind of person that DMX is and we could sit here and talk about the hits and uh, like you said Saul you know I'm, I'm a a, I'm a millennial so I grew up on DMX with him. <laughs> as music at our middle school and high school dances we would listen to dmx warming up because at that time dmx just was gonna like
1: give it to you i'm yeah. gonna give it to you <laughs>
0: <laughs> well you would see me on the dance floor when they're playing up in here and i'm like dancing like that corny white guy doing all like the like mic dances <laughs> and just being super corny super corny <laughs> But but DMX he, he had that rhythm and he just that his music just just made you feel good and you know we would listen to X going give it to you uh, while warming up for games we would listen to the Rough Riders anthem God. as well and and any time you know we would be warming up and all you heard was the 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 little clap before the Rough Riders anthem mm-hmm. we knew yeah it's, it's going go down, down. <laughs> it's about to go down and uh. My favorite DMX movie reference uh, was from the movie "This Is the End," and uh, it's the apocalyptic movie mm-hmm. with Seth Rogen and James Franco and and all those guys. Well, they're in the in the house together, and Jay says, "You know, I'm I'm not I don't need a pack. I'm I'm like I'm a lone wolf. I'm like DMX." And Seth Rogen says, "DMX was not a lone wolf." He had the Rough Rider crew. What do you, what do you, you think you could stop, drop, and open up a shop by yourself? <laughs> uh, but going back to you, know, DMX as the person, uh, one thing you can always tell by how good of a person uh, someone is after they pass is when they bring up all the things that isn't about your career. Yeah, I remember when uh, when Lude Olson passed away. You could sit there and talk about the number of incredible back basketball accomplishments he did at Arizona and in Iowa and all that. But it was Lute Olsen, the person, the lessons that he taught to his players off the court. That's what paid dividends for these guys. The same thing with Kobe Bryant. You heard about how much of a legend he was as a basketball player, but what he did for people off the court is really, I think what summarizes someone. And uh, you know dmx you would hear all the stories of the, the lady that you just said um i remember seeing um a post um on i think complex might have posted it when he was on the the slingshot ball yeah, with his daughter with his yeah. daughter <laughs> and his daughter looked like she was no older than 8 9 years yeah. old and she was and, terrified and he and, was too and oh he was too but he was he held her hand and said listen we're going to go through this together i got you baby And I've been on plenty of those rides before and I remember being, you know, eight, nine year old going on the mega drop at the Pima County Fair and just (laughs) being scared shitless because all I thought was, oh my goodness, my thing, my, the, the little thing that holds you down. Yeah. I always have this fear that it's just gonna like unlock while we're at the top. Yeah, same.
1: And I'm just oh yeah. uh, that's why I hold on as tight as I can so I yeah. don't fall. <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. <laughs> the stupidest thing ever.
1: Like that ain't yeah. gonna stop. If I'm that high up and I just start slipping out, yeah, I ain't gonna be able to hold myself.
0: Yeah. That's
1: but 250 d- LBs but- that's going right through the freaking
0: <laughs> ground. <laughs> but DMX recognized that she was scared out of her mind during this yeah. experience, held her hand talked her through it the whole time while he was also scared and just kind of calmed her down and was like look you did it it the ride's over with you did it and she was <laughs> she, you could tell she was in shock but she kind of felt proud of herself because she yeah. went on this monstrous ride with her dad and and she did it and i think that's so incredible i also saw another post of, of a guy in Buffalo that said uh, one time DMX came by on tour and he just went into a random IHOP, went into the back of the kitchen and started cooking omelets with all the cooks. And that was like the best thing that ever happened in Buffalo what? that year. What? Well, that's, that's
1: awesome. That's what I love the most. I don't, like, I know a lot of people think about like, oh man, it would be cool to like hang out with like Larry Fitzgerald or it'd be cool to like hang out with, you know, said celebrity or Michael Jordan or whatever or whatever, like at the club or at his house or doing some fancy shit, right? I don't care about any of that. I would love, I would love, love, love just to do some layman's work or some regular ass stuff with those guys. Because I feel like in those environments and in those situations, you get who they really are, not the perception of who they really are. When you go to the club, when you're out in public, you're getting their persona, right? But if we're on the golf course and it's just us four, and there's nobody else around. Now you get to know who they really are. They're going to talk about, they're going to talk to you and they're going to react and they're going to act the way they really are, you know what I mean? If we're playing poker in an intimate setting. Nobody else is around. It's just like 6 or 8 of us. That's how you really know who a person really is. You know what I mean? Like those are the types of things that I think are just so awesome. And when they can humble themselves to go into the back and be a line cook for us essentially, <laughs> that's uh, on another 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 level of of humanity that I just I absolutely love but yeah anyway you know that's that's this episode of the Total BS podcast uh again please
0: Justin tell them where they can find us RIP DMX you will be missed um just cultural icon man music movies the whole thing uh DMX you will be missed but um this episode of the Total BS podcast we had fun but we're going to have more fun episodes moving forward so please 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 on our YouTube page, go to Total BS Podcast, smash the subscribe button, Please. leave us a comment, share with all your friends, go to all of our social media uh, platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, give us a like uh, and a follow Total BS Podcast. And then Total BS is everywhere. I mean, anywhere that you can listen to a podcast, we're on there. So if you're a Spotify person, if you're an Apple person, if you're a Google person, whatever, go search Total BS Podcast subscribe rate review tell us what you think of the show because we're gonna have some we're gonna have plenty of guests moving forward that's gonna give us uh, a good good look and I, and I can't wait. Awesome
1: awesome well until we see you next time the heavyweight champ says peace so peace.
0: Yo your fans just might turn into offense. be cool it's just a part of this program. Spit so your best 16 if you must you not whack you just Down, whack, rapping at the hut.